Today's sermon in 1 Corinthians 15 is entitled Final Victory. The 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians is by far the longest chapter in this letter. And it contains the last section of actual teaching, which is entirely about resurrection. The last chapter in this book, chapter 16, contains some personal instructions, notes, and final greetings. This church was plagued by many problems springing from a fundamental and popular error or misunderstanding which dominated the thinking of most people in that culture. Many of the false teachers made the most of this fundamental error to drive many of the Corinthian believers off the road of the holy living Christ calls us to. They were saying something like this, you know, it doesn't really matter what you do with your body because your body is just going to rot in the ground anyway. So many of the problems which arose in this church were cultivated by people embracing this very Greek view of who they were, even as Christians. Combine that view with a common falsehood unique to way too many Christians, and it looked like pouring gas on an already burning fire. What view is this? It was the common idea that since Christians have been forgiven of all their sins, why not just sin all the more to experience even more grace? This view continues to this day. The Apostle Paul destroys the Corinthians' excuses for their very bad behavior in this letter. One by one, he has addressed them all, both by showing what was wrong and why, and also by showing what was right and why. But he saved the best of the best teaching for last, here in chapter 15. He connects what they believed about Christ saving them to the power of God demonstrated in the resurrection of Christ from the grave. The body that will rot in the grave will be changed and transformed by God's power into a resurrection body suitable for eternal life in the presence of God Almighty. In other words, our bodily resurrection is possible because of Christ's bodily resurrection. Because Christ defeated death and bodily rose from the dead, the believer's body will also be raised. If Jesus had not been raised from the dead, we are all wasting our time and will still have to pay for our own sin. But because it is true, we are able to see who we are in Christ and what our purpose is in this life and what our only hope is. Genuine belief will bear evidence of new life in Christ. What God has worked in us will start to dominate our thinking and behavior. We will care about the people who belong to God that are now our brothers and sisters in Christ and our unity in Christ in a local body of believers and that we are designed to learn to grow together in loving Christ and each other more and more and better and better and 
that we are called to proclaim the gospel of Christ to everyone, everywhere. Our greatest enemy, death, has been defeated by the one who saved us. We will actually experience victory over our own death when Jesus Christ raises the body that dies to be changed into an imperishable body when the last trumpet sounds. So if God has done all this for us, we do not have any viable excuse at all to live for any other reason than to glorify Christ in every area of our lives and enjoy him forever and ever. Please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15, be reading from verses 50 to 58 and from the English Standard Version. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 58. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and the most, this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's divide this paragraph into four parts. Part one is transformation in verses 50 through 53. Part two is triumph in verses 54 through 56. Part three is thanksgiving in verse 57. And part four is Paul's exhortation in verse 58. Part 1, Transformation, verses 50 through 53. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, 
and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Paul concludes his argument for the resurrection by stating what should be painfully obvious, that God's people must have more than the natural body to inherit God's eternal kingdom. In verse 50, he writes, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. The phrase flesh and blood simply means our corruptible present humanity, our human mortality, which is dust-like and perishable. Corruptible flesh and blood, which is fallen and mortal because of sin, cannot inherit the imperishable. Next, Paul tells us how this works in verses 51 through 53. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. We shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. Paul uses the word mystery here in a way that implies that there are things about the resurrection body that the Corinthians simply did not understand. And so now he will tell them. First, he says that we shall not all sleep, meaning that some believers will be alive when Christ returns. Second, every Christian will receive a changed or transformed body when Christ returns and summons his people at the sound of the last trumpet, we shall all be changed. Third, this change or transformation will happen instantaneously and completely for all Christians, whether living or dead. He writes, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And fourth, the change or transformation will happen from one kind of body to another. Verse 53, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable. Those in Christ whose bodies are decaying in the grave must receive imperishable bodies. And then we read, and this mortal body must put on immortality. In other words, those in Christ who are still alive in their mortal bodies must be given changed immortal bodies that will not die. Our present existence must be changed as a matter of necessity, since our present nature is not suited for the age to come. So first part of Paul's paragraph here, transformation, is followed by part two that we could call triumph in verses 54 through 56. When all this happens, verse 54, when the perishable 
a Christian's body, already dead and decaying, puts on the imperishable, a body that cannot perish and decay, and the mortal, a Christian still alive, but with a body that can die, puts on immortality, a body that will never die, the triumphant words from Isaiah 25, verse 8, and Hosea chapter 13, verse 14, will finally become a reality for God's people. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, first from Isaiah 25, 8, death is swallowed up in victory. And then verse 55 from Hosea 13, 14, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? This is the great climax of redemptive history. Our greatest fear has been conquered. Our greatest enemy, death, has been defeated. This victory is so incredibly magnificent for the person in Christ that Paul can then mock death, singing of the glorious triumph yet to come. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? These words from Paul that echo Hosea 13, Shall I ransom them from the power of Sheol? Shall I redeem them from death? O death, where are your plagues? O death, where is your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. You see here, Paul is looking at this Old Testament text from the New Testament perspective of Christ's death and resurrection, conquering death for us, seeing that death no longer has its plagues and sting or destruction, for those who belong to him. Christ took the sting of death on the cross for all who would believe in him, like a bee leaving its stinger in a victim. Christ bore the whole of death's sting in order that we would have to bear none of it. Then, to emphasize and explain this truth even more, Paul adds, In verse 56, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. The Corinthians are not the only ones who need to hear this. All Christians do. What is the reason death came about in the first place? Why do all people die? Because in Adam, we are all sinners. And the penalty or wages of death is what? The wages of sin is death. Back in verse 22, Paul wrote, For as in Adam all die. And in Romans 5.12 we read, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Everything here goes back to the beginning, to the Garden of Eden. Sin brings death and separates people from God. The sting in death then 
is that it separates people from God. And that separation is permanent if one does not have life in Christ. In other words, if it were not for sin, death would have no sting. This explanation from the New Testament and the Apostle Paul clears up the vague kind of sting interpretation we hear in our day. It doesn't mean just painful or horrid or extremely excruciating or something none of us wants to go through. What this sting is, is sin, which causes us to die and be separated from God. So even here, and especially here in so many ways, we see the gospel being pictured, explained, and made very, very personal. And then ironically, we read that it's the law which is holy, righteous, and good, that Paul says is the power of sin. Now, what does he mean by that? That the law is the power of sin. Instead of giving us life, because we are sinful, the law actually exposes that sin which lies within us and therefore condemns us by inflicting the curse upon all of us for our infractions of God's commands, which is death. In other words, the law shows us just how sinful we really are. So first, Paul gives us transformation and what that is. And then he explains the triumph that was won for each of those who belong to Christ, by Christ. And now part three is thanksgiving, which is the response to what we have just read about our state, our condition, and that only Jesus Christ did something about it to give us new life, exactly what we need. In verse 15, Paul writes, But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's a specific example of why when we read the scriptures, why our response after reading them is this particular sentence. But thanks be to God. Amen to that. The final victory belongs to those who belong to Christ, who are in Christ. Paul does not leave these people or us under the word of condemnation. So the questions that we need to ask to help us appreciate the truth of what Paul is communicating. Do we rejoice in the truth that Christ's death and shed blood turned aside God's wrath 
towards us as rebellious sinners? Do we understand that this is not something we earn, but something we have been given? Christ has turned God's wrath towards our sin, us, away and took it upon himself who bore our sin on the cross. Lastly, part four, Paul ends in verse 58 with an exhortation. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Paul concludes with a practical down-to-earth exhortation. Jesus' resurrection not only ensures our final victory in the end, his resurrection gives meaning and purpose to everything we do here and now. There is no reason to give up in despair and eat and drink as people without any hope. The labors of God's people are never in vain. And we must know that in the Lord, our labor is not in vain. Knowing that, we can always abound in the work of the Lord, no matter what difficulties and trials we're called to endure in this life. We know how the great redemptive drama will end. Every tear will be wiped from our eyes. There will be no more pain or tears. We will receive our glorious inheritance in Christ, and we will finally see God with our own eyes. All of this is the basis for the hope that only Christians have. The degree to which we learn to keep this glorious final outcome before our eyes, the greater our strength to be steadfast, immovable, persevering during times of trouble. The more we fix our faith on the final outcome of history, the greater our ability to live lives of gratitude before our gracious God. Death, when our body and soul are torn apart because of human sin, is not the end. For on that great day when Jesus Christ comes back, the dead in Christ will be raised and we shall all be changed. We will immediately be transformed from lowly to heavenly bodies, from corruptible flesh to incorruptible bodies like Jesus had after his resurrection. And so in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, we shall all be raised. What a glorious and certain hope we have.
for our closing prayer, which is really a praise plus a prayer and a plea. If your Bibles are still open, you might look in the last chapter of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 16, the end of verse 22. We read there, our Lord come. Literally, this is Maranatha, which means exactly that. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Thank you for letting us know what you have done to bring us to yourself. Thank you that in so many places in your word, for people just like us, who have come to know you by your grace and struggle so much in trusting you day by day and enjoy the fellowship of one another as we have been united to Christ and are in a local body. We look at our current situation and varying degrees of separation and this passage also encourages us as we also look forward to the day when you return and when you call us to yourself and you give us resurrection bodies that will be able to live in eternity in your presence. Oh God, with so much to look forward to, we pray that you'd use these truths to help us have a right perspective of what we're going through right now, whatever it may be, more and more serious for some, lesser for some others, but we are all feeling the missing parts. Oh Lord, we thank you that you're not missing. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our benediction this morning is from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen.